From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 202 of the Killing It podcast boy you guys are good today you'd think oh, after 202 tries we'd be, <laughs> <laughs> we'd be reasonably good at it Sweet. we're all warmed up now and we know how this all works so gents i'm gonna gonna kick us off with some fun who would you get along with more your child self or your teenager self tough call i have to say as a child i was just happy all the time as a teenager i was a little less happy but i was a lot more interesting <laughs> so i don't know if that's related but as a teenager i like i got into all the nerdy stuff like every nerdy thing you could possibly imagine uh, back in the day uh and so I, I i like i like hanging out with that guy See, I was I, I would pick my teenage self because amusingly, like I'm still into the same stuff that I was into, like, like video, video games and, and like, like movies, music, like it's most of the same stuff has continued on. Like you know, I I, I kind of baked I guess a little early on some of that stuff, and so I would be be pretty comfortable hanging out with my teenage self, and I'm reasonably confident my teenage self would want to ask questions about the stuff that I know know and do now. Oh yeah, that'd be kind of so. See, that would actually be a very healthy relationship. I will have to go the opposite direction from you guys. Um, as a as a youth like you, Carl, I was the happiest kid around. I was precocious and fun, and I just loved to go outside and kick a ball and throw a ball and do whatever you could possibly do. As a teenager, and this will not surprise either of you guys, man, I was an insufferable know-it-all. I, I, not, so I did changed. know some stuff. I know, exactly. I did know some stuff, but boy, I needed other people to know that I knew stuff. And I, I unfortunately, and you know, this is, this is the, the lessons you learn in reverse, right? Looking back, giving know-it-all teenagers trophies and scholarships for being <laughs> good at debate uh, it might be a short-sighted initiative, right? Because Poor choice, that, teachers. That, that might not be the kind of reinforcement that people like me in this world needed back then. It wasn't until I was, I don't know, 31 that I learned that you didn't have to be the only one in the room who had the right answer about everything. And I, I look back and I think, man, I, I'm, I might slap myself across the face <laughs> as a teenager. <laughs> that is too funny. Gent, let's cut the FUD. Don't let anyone scare you from selling VoIP because compliance is hard. With their newest managed compliance service, OIT VoIP removes compliance headaches from the picture while allowing you to retain control of your client relationships. Get started selling faster than ever. Visit oit.co slash mspradio to learn more today. Excellent. Let's jump into our first topic here, sirs. Uh, 
for for once, we got some really good news in the cyber wars, and we can chalk one up for the good guys. Uh, recently, the FBI announced that they have made a major inroads and B shut down a ransomware uh, gang called Hive. Uh, the the news around this, there's some details that we're linking to an article that'll give you kind of a primer, but there's some additional information out there. Uh, this didn't just happen because somebody caught a bad guy doing a bad thing. This was the FBI getting in back in June of last year and then closing them down in January of this year. And in the interim, they did all kinds of really good and valuable things, as well as some really effective subversive things. So um, uh, guys, now that we actually have seen a successful example of how to fight the cyber wars against these, uh, the, these criminal gangs, uh, did we learn something? Is there, is there more good news or is this just that, that one bright spot in the middle of a dark war? So I lo I'm looking, trying to look at it from a trend perspective, and I'm, I keep looking at this saying, like, if you trace back to the Biden executive orders and the, the push on cybersecurity, there has been active motion from large government institutions to move on this for a period of time now. They have been very diligent. They have been working through and getting better and better and better and more refined at this. So in a way, you shouldn't be surprised that they are good at this when they spend their time and it is made a priority. I continue to believe they will be doing more and getting better and better at this. The one that I just recently noticed was CISA has put on their working agenda for 2023, focusing on security of SMBs, particularly around critical infrastructure, as it relates to managed services providers and managed security services providers. It is literally on the agenda that they just published for this year's working load. So I keep looking at this saying like, they're just working through the list. We should go after the large organizers. We should be fighting them as a criminal organization. We should be working through the list, uh, the, the list of uh, areas to focus on, and they're just getting better and better in it when you put prioritization against it. I don't think we should be surprised. This is what they do. They break up organized criminal organizations. This one has just net. This type has just become more of a actual priority. So I'm glad that they're doing this. I do believe that they will do more and they'll get better at it. But I want to take a very different perspective. I think it is irresponsible that there is cyber where I think it's irresponsible because it means that people don't have decent backups and disaster recovery and failover systems. In SMB, if you don't have those things, you go out of business. And we're actually better at it than the big companies. These big hospitals, there's absolutely no excuse for them to have this kind of attack. And I think the government should ask them to pay for those keys. You know, oh yeah, you don't have to send your ransomware. I mean, they have, they help 300 companies avoid paying ransomware because the government gave them the keys. My tax dollars is paying for those hospitals to make extra money by not providing their own systems with a decent backup. I think that is horrible and it should be illegal for them to not be backing up their systems when it is causing the government to foot the bill to bail them out. I think it's bullshit. And I, honest to God, think that somebody needs to go after those big corporations. You know, stop going after Meta for, you know, whatever, 
and look at these hundreds and hundreds of hospitals and other large corporations that are being irresponsible with their investor dollars. That's my two cents worth. See, I, that is uh, a, a scorching fire coming out of Carl's microphone today. And you know what? I buy your logic there, Carl. I think that it is the last thing we want to do in this world is to give somebody the false sense of security that I don't need to have good cybersecurity because you know what? Somebody else is taking care of that for me and I'll get to just skate through. Now, I do believe it is a social good that the government is getting involved in this process, chasing down the bad guys. Because when you get inside this story and particularly the, the guys that they were dealing with, th this is not just I do some things with malware kind of a group. This is one of the ransomware as a service business model providers, right? Where they've got literally hundreds and hundreds of subcontractors that they bring in, in what oddly resembles a very efficient channel program in a route to market strategy that allows them to dramatically multiply their impact and the quantity of coverage that they can get into the market. That's a very, very bad thing, and we need help at a social level to try and figure that out. But if you benefit from that program, that doesn't mean that you just get to go, tee-hee-hee, I'm free, and I get to go away and, and do business as usual. That ought to be that, you know, number one, it should at least at the very first time come with a set of expectations that say, in return for this encryption key that I'm going to give you so you don't have to pay a ransom that you did not prevent on your own, then you have to sign a legally binding agreement that will bring your cybersecurity up to snuff and, and that you won't have these kinds of vulnerabilities again in the future. And then if you do it again, repeat offender, right now I can start to see where we've got some consequences in there. But it is going to be a thing. One nugget that I thought was particularly interesting in this one, the observation is that the way the FBI got in and then the way that they behaved during this process, they, they were not like stormtroopers kicking in the door and coming in and going, ha ha, got you guys and you're arrested. They registered as an agent in this network. They got the same treatment as other people did, and that's what gave them access to other elements and eventually getting access to the encryption keys. And the, the upshot of that, if you think about it, is that the projection is other ransomware for higher groups are going to have to reconsider their business practices because now they have to vet the people that are coming in. They can't communicate like it's the Wild West. They actually have to have their own governance and controls, and that might legitimately slow down the advance of the, the cyber for hire type so I wanna, of a problem. I, I want to weigh in on Carl, because Carl... I also agree with you, but I have my end of this is, and this is why we have regulation. Because, <laughs> you know, because by the way, it is not illegal, for example, to have no backups, right? And uh, I think you could put in place a, an ability to prove basic levels the same way that we, we look at physical security of buildings or the, the safety of employees, we can have standards that you must be be uh, you know following in terms of your data hygiene. And by the way, we can also have licensed practitioners who help you make implement those solutions. And thus, the government can have very clear rules of engagement for who is 
who gets helped because they followed the law and who didn't follow the law and gets and has issues, you know, and, and has to pay, pay fines. This is a regulatory framework. It is. That's how this works. And so I would say, yes, I'm 100 percent with you. Let's put together the rules. I don't want to get a blank check for regulation because we do have lots of regulations. But I just think like this is a good thing. I don't want to be misquoted on that. I think we've covered this before. I think it's amazing, especially what the FBI is doing. Very sophisticated stuff. It's very good. I just want to make sure that we understand that, you know, they're not helping a million small businesses. They're helping hundreds of very, very large businesses who have lots and lots of money and, and should be actually funding this, not uh, just simply benefiting from it. So. Well, we have a grand tradition in the U.S. of continuing to do that. So. <laughs> and, and, and going forward, I, I think I might sign up to be the first one on the petition to say, you know what, maybe it is time that it's illegal to not have a backup. Right. Maybe there are some standards in this world where what we know as fundamentals, those things ought to be standard expectations and you can't be in business yeah. without doing I, it. I don't think you could make it illegal not to have a backup. But I think what you can do is to say, hey, you want some government funds? You want funding for this? You want, uh, you know, help from right. the FBI? Uh, you can't do gross negligence, like gross negligence. And they're like, oh, look at we, this, by the way, I always laugh and go, politics is discussing the gray areas, right? That's the, we should have a healthy bit. I think we're all in agreement that nothing isn't the way we go, but I'm gonna move us on to topic number two. It's an interesting article about uh, the ability now for scientists to use Wi-Fi in order to essentially see through walls. They can detect presence and location of human beings, uh, detailed mo movements and positions in space using Wi-Fi signals. Uh, it's super cool, right? But brings up so many like concerns about the ability to use of the technology. I read this and immediately said like, this is something for us to talk about. Uh, because immediately I had so many interesting uses, use cases for it. And there's fact there's, you know, the ability to do smart home stuff and presence and, you know, location within a space. There's so many cool things you can do. And wow, we have so many open questions of how that gets implemented. Guys, what was your what was your first biggest scary thought? Uh, so I, came to this I, I will note our producer Nye read this and she was like, oh my God, I have to send this to all my relatives. <laughs> like, this is seriously <laughs> scary stuff, right? Um, and it's not, it's not sci-fi. We have covered the fact that, you know, between your vacuum and uh, all the cameras and sensors and so forth that, you know, uh, Amazon probably has a really good map of your house already, right? So uh, this just takes that to the next level. It's really a cool use of technology, but, um, I hope, <laughs> going back to the last story, I hope it's only used for good. You know, uh, that's that's the part where it would be great if I could say that only the legitimate law enforcement agencies are going to be using this. I can't promise that that's always going to be the case. Well, and I would predict it's not going to be the case because this is the curious and the interesting part of this. While it is still at the development stage, right, there are no products in the market today that you can just flip on and use Wi-Fi signal to see inside your neighbor's house. 
it is well established as technology, right? Like, so what they have done, they've advanced it to the level of, we know that we can do this and we understand the models. And what's interesting is it's really just a question of permissions on the sender and the receiver antenna, right? You, you, you have to be able to get access to that kind of technology right now. But all it needs to be is the Wi-Fi router already in your house. Right, that was the most fascinating thing to me about this technology is that when you when you dig on it a little bit, on one side it's like scientists say, and maybe at some point in the future we'll be able to do this. But what they actually said was maybe someday we will release a product that will allow you to do this using a universally installed piece of technology that is already inside every house, every building known to the modern world. If it's got Wi-Fi, we can now read that signal. It is a combination of not only the telemetry of the signal and, you know, think of it like sonar, I will ping you and I will get resistance, but then they apply a layer of AI to it to infer what a body is shaped like and then to identify what it's doing. And they said that's where it really goes down to the next level. You know, we've all seen the movies where like the military is watching you through the building wall and it's just this red glowing blob and you don't know who's who and you don't know what's going on, uh, but you know that there is an entity in there. This stuff goes to that next level of, oh no, I can see height and who, whether you're facing towards me or away, what you are doing with your hands, what you have in your hands. It is very detailed and it's using universally available technology with one more piece that's yet to be commercialized. That that was the thing that made me go, that's super creepy. I hope that, it, I actually went the opposite way from you, Carl. I hope that there are good applications for this technology. I'm not quite sure what they are yet because my mind went straight to, oh crap, all the bad guys are gonna well, take this and go crazy. We add another layer, so in my house, I don't know about you guys, but probably in your house too, I have a repeater. Right? So I got two yeah. of those <laughs> devices, right? <laughs> so it, it becomes a little easier uh, even there to, to map where I am and what I'm doing and so forth. I can totally see this as being something that you add a little AI and you'd be able to determine whether an elderly person had fallen down, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so there are there are lots of There's a good potentially use. good uses for it. Um, you know what's well i'll offer i mean proper motion detection normally we can do motion detection which allows someone to move into the room but if you sit there and read a book and immediately go quiet then you lose like then oftentimes these systems then don't detect you anymore and like they'll turn off the lights right so like you can do proper motion detection if you're actually able to do uh, shape identification, you could actually identify who people are from a security perspective. You could actually identify different participants in different, you know, home automations or office automations based on the on who people are. There's lots of customization. Ryan's Minority Report, which we will not talk about, yes, uh, not but like you can you can do a lot <laughs> great deal of customization to that. Like there's there's a whole bunch of different very very practical uses for being able. And to see, I'm very that. glad. I am very glad that there are smart people like you guys that can think of these positive applications because my brain went to the heat-seeking missile and, and I got freaked out and I decided maybe it's time to go off the grid and disconnect my Wi-Fi. And then I thought, no, nah, that's a couple of years away, but hopefully we get the good use cases in the meantime. Well, I mean, even just think about ecology and, uh, you know, not heating the rooms that nobody goes into and drawing the patterns of, you know, Microsoft's always going away like, 
How do we get away from passwords? Well, you look at people's behavior and you see that they do these things, da 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 da, da right? And then your, your, your fingerprint is actually your life, right? Imagine that at the house level where we never heat that front room until Saturday, you know, at 8 a.m. when people actually use the thing, right? So there's lots of stuff that is, is potentially good for it. Uh, unfortunately, like many other things, its first use is going to be, oh, how do I find that person so I can put a bullet exactly where I need the wall? <laughs> exactly. And you know what's another interesting wrinkle on top of this is that because it's it's a representation of you, your physical being, your motion, your identity, etc. Is this now biometric data that is your unique possession? Or is this publicly available data that anybody can access and do whatever it is that they want with this, right? We've talked about facial recognition and, and the ethical challenges with that kind of technology. Um, this takes it to another level. This is not you in public and you assume that you are on camera and you hope they're not using it for bad reasons. This is literally you inside the privacy of your castle and yet they are mapping you, identifying you, and literally with AI, they can get down to be able to identify, now that's not just somebody who is the same height as Carl, that's Carl. We know that it's him and we can identify that. Okay, I own my fingerprints and then other people can use that information when I put it out there in the world. Is my very presence in a digital world now biometric data that I own and you have to pay me access? Well, and or and interestingly, can it be an and? You you you're you're asking, is this an or? Is it possible that that data is an and? Like, can it be both? And the answer is, I think it can. And thus, there may even be different classifications of data, saying where it's not one, it's not the other. It's actually a hybrid. There's there's co-ownership. There are different levels of responsibility. You can get some really interesting, if we're thoughtful, you can actually get to some really interesting places about the, the ownership of that data. Well, imagine layering it over top of other data, like tracking what's going on on your, your Apple Watch or other watch, right? And then saying, okay, uh, yeah, you got your steps in, but you didn't really have much activity yesterday. You know, we're gonna send a report to the hospital and you know, raise your taxes and whatever, so. Yeah, again, uh, arriving in a world where, you know, you show up and say, hey, I'd like to fill out the application to get a new insurance policy and only to have the insurance company reply with, nah, we're good. We know what you do. <laughs> you don't need to fill out an application. Sadly, that day will never come. They will always make me fill out the paper application. <laughs> you always going to make me fill out the paper Topic number three. So this was this is actually something that we, we've predicted this story for four years, right? That the the first uh, victim of AI is going to be ethics. Uh, every time we've talked about artificial intelligence for the last four years, there it's usually been a story about uh, the ethical side of it that, you know, oh, it's not being used the right way. Facial recognition is not being used the right way. We don't have the right filters on this and that and so forth. Uh, and now it, it comes to GPT or chat GPT uh, and other related uh, artificial intelligences that it kind of looks like the first thing going out the door is going to be the ethics piece because as soon as people have something that somebody will buy, they're going to sell it. And then all of the ethical considerations get pasted on afterwards. You would think at some point, 
in the evolution of the human race, we would say, look, we saw this coming. We should have these conversations. Listen to Killing It for the last four years and consider ethics before you put something out to market. And yet, no one has paid any attention to us. Well, I dis so I'm going to say I disagree with that because NIST literally pr pr published last week version 1.0 of their framework for ethical use around AI. So, we are, and and by the way, on top of that, if we, we go to the EU, the EU has put in forth actual legislation that will be enforced by the end of this year. So, while I'm with you, right? Like, there's a little bit of like, oh my God, the companies are going to go crazy. We're not actually in a zero state on on the way we're at with this that there is there is a framework here in the u.s there's actual laws that are going into place by the end of the end of the year in the eu there's some pieces in this now I, i'm balancing my own thought on this is i read a really interesting piece in the atlantic uh just the other day around you can actually be it is okay to be excited about generative ai and about ai technologies because i have actually been like you know, I, my bad guy hat always comes out on these things, but I keep finding really useful t uses for the technology uh, in my actual workflow. And you know, by the way, I'm not alone. We're well over like almost a third of, of actual office workers have put generative AI to use already in their jobs. So the genie is out of the bottle and it is okay to be excited about the technology. What I think the interesting space is, is the combination of thoughtful use of it being implemented combined with applying a management framework like NIST's to the business to say, we can help you be better and think through both the positive and the negative of the implications as you do rollouts. Well, and see, I, I think you can have a regulatory framework. I think you can have ethical guidelines for the application of the technology and all of those things will bow in service to the commercial expectations of competitive businesses in a marketplace. Uh, ChatGPT put this out there, OpenAI, right? Like they, they put this resource out there and they did not have market share. They did not have an install base. They have no brand against which they could get in trouble if it becomes known as, well, it's interesting, it's fun, it could be productive, but it's really just Full of crap. It, it, it's it's a as as we've described before. It is a fluent BS machine, and it confidently says things that are not true. Well, that rolls back to OpenAI, and they're like, guys, it's not totally perfect yet. We just wanted to put it in your hands. Well, guess what Google's going to do? Guess what Meta's going to do? Guess what everybody else who wants to compete in this space is going to do? Because we're not silly enough to think that Google at all don't already have these kinds of technologies in development. We know for a fact that they do. But they've been holding off because the brand protection was, well, if I put out something that's a fluent BS generator and that goes into my Google search results and it's against advertising, my advertisers are going to go, whoa, I'm not paying that invoice until you ensure me that I won't appear next to flat out lies again in the future. Well. OpenAI comes out, Google has to respond, and then will Meta, and then, and then, and then. This is not going to be a carefully considered ethical framework for technology application. This is going to be a market share battle. And, and Carl, to your point, the best possible model we have to compare what this was like 
or what it might turn out to be is social media. Right in the early days of social media, it was fun. It was cute. It was it was a way to like poke your friend and go hey. And then we found uses for it, and then it became an industry. And before we knew it, we looked back and went, "Oh crap, that's like causing actual medical harm, actual social and political harm." That technology moved fast and broke tremendous amounts of important things in our society. We're right here at the front of AI. And we're about to do that again because, Dave, I agree with you. I think we know that ethics should be at the front of the conversation and we have frameworks. But as soon as competitor number two makes a release, and I mean, I, I, I'm anticipating that that release is going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Right. It is just you can't let these guys go out there and get tens of millions of active users and not reply. And when number two comes out, number three has to come back out. And then it will just be an arms race to figure out what is cool and profitable. And then we'll look back on it and go, oh, we should have thought about some of those ethical things now that we've you know, rendered society a, a smoldering heat. <laughs> well, in NIST's. NIST guidelines aren't really ethical in nature. They are they are more about you know what's appropriate and so forth. And the the problem is the most obvious thing that people have talked about uh, with regard to ethics and and Chat GPT has been kids cheating on their exams or uh, you know that kind of stuff. Luckily, uh, Chat GPT did not do well on the law uh, exam, but. You know, I, I think part of what we have to look at is to say, look, this is just another tool. And, and ultimately, I think it's fun, I think it's good, but it is a tool and the appropriate use of that tool is just like anything else, it's got to evolve over time. And uh, I, I think that we will see more and more guidelines. Uh, people are, for whatever reason, freaking out as if this is going to uh, cause so much copycatting and cheating and, and so forth. But it's so far, it's not very good at that. <laughs> it becomes very repetitive very quickly. Uh, and it, and it uh, as Ryan alluded to, uh, it very confidently lies to you without knowing that it's not telling the truth. So, uh, you know, it's just another tool. We have to learn how to use it. And Well, and that's the thing, right? It's a tool. And I, I don't want anybody to think I'm like anti-generative AI. I think that there are tremendous upsides and business applications. There are, there are economic applications, there are entertainment applications. I am a big believer this is going to dramatically accelerate the production of content and other outputs that are, that are possible from this. And we're gonna build entirely new industries based on this. So I think you, me, and everybody else, we must play along, right? We have to participate. And in that rush to not get left behind and be yesterday's dinosaur, we're all going to elbow the ethics to the side and go, I'm not the one doing bad stuff, but somebody else is, but I'm doing good things and I'd like to get paid. Well, it's been, it's, you know, they, they did a thing, I don't know, three or four years ago where I think it was Twitter where they, they let the AI go and uh, immediately had to shut down the account because it was racist, racist and abusive. Well, my, Microsoft had a whole, their whole Tay release. Right, went, right. Like, yeah. And I think it went about th two and a half days before it went completely yep. off the rails. Yeah. So, hey, well, further <laughs> than that on ChatGPT. I know. Yeah, it, it's been it's been months now, and it hasn't melted down society. Cool. Let's let's release the next version. I'm ready. Release the Kraken. <laughs> exactly. Release the Kraken. And when that happens, you'll hear about it right here on the Killing It, Killing it. podcast.
Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.